Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. This is what makes this life and not religion. Because it literally, if you you walk this path, you walk this journey, I guarantee you that the transformation can take place. Now, it's not automatic, and this is what we're learning in scriptures concerning this life, but it is something that is 100% attainable if you choose to attain it. It's a, it this is what makes us different than anything else. It's going to be your choice. And if you choose to go in the direction of change, you'll get it. And if you choose not to, you won't. God is not going to do anything to make you. He's not going to force you. And he's not going to wave a wand over you and make it happen. It ain't happening. He did everything. Everything that he could do to give you this opportunity on the cross, Jesus. And once Jesus did what he did, sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. And I want you to know that so much. I want you to get this and, and live this life that is so powerful and so free. It is so freeing. And it's something that once you disengage from the church mindset, disengage from a religious concept of works and laws and rules and regulations, and connect to relationships, we all are in relationships. We all have relationships. They can be good or bad, but you all are in relationships. They need work or they don't need work. Either way, you're in relationships. And in those relationships, we know there's no perfection in it. And if it's a working, good relationship, there's a whole lot of work in it. It just doesn't happen. But when you start seeing that, then you start looking natural principle because it's all the way, it's this way all over the world. It lines up to spiritual truth. And that requires our part with God to work in this relationship. He did all this. When we were singing these songs, I, I, I think about trials. I think about tough times. In, in my walk as a follower of Jesus, I've been to the place at the beginning and gone through this whole, you know, this years of this journey of, of experiencing what everybody experiences. And that is let down, that could, losing hope, the lack of, uh, of understanding, the ability to blame God for things. I've been through all this stuff. And I think about where I'm at now and what are the key things that have got me to the place of what I would say a, a mature position in my life personally. As far as being grown up in this, this scripture, this Bible. And I think about what I do now and what I did before. And there, there's no difference in 30 years ago in the sense of having a difficulty in my life and now having difficulty in my life. Difficulties are difficulties, period. It's how I react to them. How I reacted then and how I reacted now, they're, they're totally different. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't thrown a fit in my head or thrown a fit outward to God. You know, the place where I'm like going, gosh, are you kidding me? But I get over it a lot quicker. 
It's just me doing my thing, get it out, get it over with, and then realize, you know, my bad, God, because he didn't do it. And so I looked at this and I started thinking, what is it that has really helped me quickly get the right frame of mind in a tough time? And it's Ephesians 2.4. Ephesians 2.4 has an impact on my life as probably no other scripture. In, 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 a, in a word of scripture that can, can totally transform and change your life. And that scripture is, is with great love in which he loved Daniel. He died for me. Not when I was good, not when I believed in him, not when I had any understanding of him, he died for me with his great love. Now, I'm paraphrasing it for me because that's what I do. But the scripture is spoken to you as well. With great love, he died for each one of you. With great love, not with remorse, not with a position of, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. They're going to screw up. No. While we were in the midst of the ugly of ugliest, Christ died for us. But he said, great love, great love. And so when I'm dealing with something and dealing with an issue and I'm, I'm in, you know, a church atmosphere or wherever, and I feel the, that oppression that weight coming upon my life. It's so easy to engage in the, the, the pointing fingers, the throwing fits, the doing all that we do when we're in this type of position. And I've learned to start thinking about the great love of God in my life. And it always changes. It always changes my outlook and what I'm seeing with great love in which he loved me. And so I think about that and I think, you know what? No matter what I'm going through, God loves me greatly, period. He just, he's greatly in love with me. And I, and I, I won't forget it. And I know that God loves me. And so I'm, I, my confession is, God loves me so much. I'm his son. He loves me so much. And that in itself always, always lifts me up no matter what I'm going through, always. And so that's not part of my message, but it's a free one for you right now. Because if you're going through anything, Ephesians 2.4 is for you, amen? Ephesians 2.4, okay? So never forget that. Ephesians 2.4, 2 plus 2 equals 4, 2.4. You won't forget it, 2.4, right? All right, you got that? Ephesians what? How'd you get 4. Because two and two, right? And two, two, four. I'm telling you right now, you're never going to forget Ephesians 2, 4. All right? Am I right? Online? They're all like, yeah, that's pretty obvious. So you guys, you're with me on this, right? With great love in which he loved you. In great love. Where's that at in the Bible? All right. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So we, last week we were looking at we're to mimic Jesus. We see in the scriptures, we see where, where scripture tells us mimic God, mimic Christ, 
mimic Paul's, he mimics Christ. We, we, we see in the Word of God where it says we have, a, we have to change our view in what we're copying. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in there. So he says, I need you to focus in and mimic, mimic, imitate this picture. And that's what the Bible wants us to understand. We're to imitate this. We imitate. We all imitate. We're all imitators, okay? You, no one in here is original. You imitate something. Everybody. That's, and, and that's not a negative. That's just how God created us. We're imitators. Amen? And that's, that's a good thing, especially when you're dealing with children, right? You want them to imitate something that they're going toward. And we look at that's a good thing. Because if they aren't, I mean, could you imagine them not imitating us and, you know, imitating your dog? You know, and the child needs to go pee-pee and lifts his leg, you know. That's, that's not a good thing, right? Well, we, <laughs> it's a Discovery Channel impact in my life. That's what I do. So the thing is, is, is we, we're imitators, and, and that's fine. So what the Bible says is now he's saying imitate something, and in the imitation, believe me, it here it sounds hard, but in the natural, it's so simple. So what does that mean? That means natural principles, spiritual truth, literally makes this something so attainable, so easy. But because it's God, Jesus, Paul, you know, we got to do the religious thing because it's so hard, so difficult. But the truth is, it's God, Jesus, and Paul. And he's saying, mimic these guys. Mimic, 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 mimic. And we go, <laughs> but we go to natural and we say, imitate your parents as children. You're like going, of course, that's simple. <gasps> it's what? It's simple. Why? Because you really don't have to think about it. It happens. I'll let that sink in for a minute because I'm still I think it's a little fight right now. But the truth is, is this. The imitating part is simple. But what makes it so hard? You tell me, you're very wise people. Why is it hard? Where's the hardness come from? Right here. It's difficult because of knowledge. And that knowledge that makes it difficult is because it's contrary it fights against what your old life that's the difficulty see you're trained a certain way all by the 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 natural senses and all of a sudden we enter into a new life new family that isn't trained in the natural senses but trained in the spiritual realm the life of faith, the life of hope. And now that's contrary to this because this took a lot of work to get to where you're at right now. And all of a sudden you're in this one and this one, you didn't do anything. Contrary to a lot of religious belief, you didn't do anything for salvation except accept it. That's it. That's all you did. You accepted the work of what God did for you because it's great love in which he loved you. So you, here you are in a position where you didn't do anything. That's the difficulty because we're used to doing stuff. 
We do stuff in the knowledge that we have right now. You did stuff in your house. You did stuff in school. You did stuff in high school. You did stuff in your job, vocation, in in college. You did stuff to get where you're at right now. You did stuff in however your health is. True. You did stuff. You did stuff in how you eat, how you communicate. You did stuff. Now we're a part of this family that's like, okay, this is new because now I have to do stuff? Well, you can't do stuff unless you learn stuff. Because everything you did, you learn first. And now we're in this faith. And we want change. We want this to happen, this to happen. So we think walking in the church is going to make us change. Praying is going to make us change. No, it isn't. It's not even in the Bible. And why people put an emphasis as far as this is what's necessary for change. No, it's necessary for change. Change. That's it. Change. So you take the word in, in this Bible life, and what? Do what Jesus said. Let's not make it complicated. He who hears my word and does them. He, that's, this is the words of Jesus. Red letters. He who hears my word and does them. Well, hearing is not the sense of I heard him. Hearing is a whole different concept in it's a process of receiving instruction and operating in the instruction in the process of doing. It's not this completed work in a moment. It's a process. It's gnosko. You're hearing to know. You're hearing to understand. And as you hear to know, hear, this is so simple, but also it's so lightening. Because now it's not, the word says this, do it. You ain't doing it, you lost. That's not what scripture teaches. What the word says is you now receive the information, now walk in this information. You're going to stumble, you're going to trip. You're, why? Because it's new. Just like we did in the natural. We're learning to walk. How did it start? With no picture of walking, how did it start? Think about it. How did walking start? Mom should have been already, boom, crawling. Crawling don't look like walking. Does crawling look like walking? How did walking start? Crawling. How did walking start? How did walking start, live stream? Crawling. Doesn't look like walking. Are you guys listening? Do you have ears to hear? So what does that mean? It means, what do we do as we turn into Christians? I just see Jesus. Walk, boy. Walk. Everybody's got to walk now. And we're like going, but I don't know how to. Then you're not saved. Be able to keep tripping. Well, you got to get saved again. Repent. We turn this into something that it's no way tied to what the Bible teaches. No way. I'm telling you, no way. And I've been studying this thing for years. And I'm talking about not, not translation in the sense of 
New King James and New Living Translation, God's Word and English Standard Version and NIV. Nope. Greek and Hebrew. And when you study the Greek and Hebrew, you're going to get a whole different insight in a lot of different Bible scriptures. Now, that does not mean they're not going to be translated correctly, though many are translated in the weakest position of application or definition. Usually it's leaning toward a specific religious belief system, and they translate accordingly. But the key is, is getting this stuff correctly. And why would I say that? Because even God said that. He said that we must correctly divide the word. We must what? Why would it say correctly? Because there must be an incorrect way, right? Incorrect ways will always lead to legalism, law, rules, regulations. Always. That's how it works. Why? Because man cannot see this grace. Man can't see this God and how he works without it being hard, difficult. And it's, listen, I've been there. I've done that. I just know, I know more than I have ever known, and I'm freer than I've ever been. You'd think if you know more and it was tied to this legalistic works way, I'd be more legalistic and more lawful. Don't do that. Quit saying that. Don't dress that way. Don't talk that way. Ah! But I haven't. I've actually went away from that from what I used to be. I used to get you saved by scaring you to hell or out of hell. Either way, I wanted you to know you're going to hell. And I believe that. Now, was there biblical precedent, precedence for me to do that? Well, through my teaching and wrong defining scripture, yeah, there was. I didn't do it out of an evil heart. I didn't do it. I didn't get up in the morning thinking I want to really mislead people. It was the doctrines. It was the information I was getting. And so what was my desire? I want people saved. So I have to, if I have to scare you to death to give you life, I'll do that. And you would not believe. I've Listen, in my life, I'm, I guarantee you, it's, been, it's probably because it's over 10,000 saved. In my life, as a, as, a, as a minister of the gospel, over 10,000 easy. Now, there have been times where thousands were saved in, in, a, in a message, okay? So it isn't like one-on-one. That would be impossible. So in that, my heart has always been, I want people to have what I have. But I never tied it to this, uh, this legalistic view. I tied it to heaven. But the more I started... This, this process of, of growing in God's word, growing in God's life, growing in his love, growing in understanding, the more I started realizing that, wait a minute, I'm not lined up to what his word is really teaching. And it started to come to life. And that life would not stop. It continued to grow and grow and grow. 
Same passion for people to get saved. Same passion and hunger to, to watch someone accept Jesus. But see, I know this walk is different than the way I used to see it. Why? Because a natural principle is always tied to spiritual truth. And birthing a child isn't a perfect thing. It's messy. And those children pretty much don't do anything until they're out of house, probably about 30. I mean, they, <laughs> just, just kidding, just kidding. That, that takes time. But why? Did, you, did I look at my boys and say, you know, they ain't going to be worth nothing. They can't, I got to change their diaper, you know. That, that, how are they going to accomplish anything? But see, that's not common sense, is it? That's not life. But did I believe that one day, one day, they get to their purpose in life and learn how to use the lawnmower? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. So listen, after a period of time, it started working out. After a period of time, what happened? The maturity, the growth started engaging. Well, how did it happen? Because they got older? No, it doesn't work that way. Because all of a sudden they turned 16, they're perfect drivers? <laughs> Ask an insurance company if that's a true statement. So what, what's the deal? The deal is, is the process of receiving instruction, accepting it, putting it to work, and the maturity process goes. Hello, people. I've just introduced you, introduced you to the Christian faith. It's that simple. And it's that real. And anything else other than that is not true. It's religion. And that will never produce freedom in your life. How can all of a sudden natural principles be greater than spiritual? Think about that. It doesn't even make sense if you use common sense in the sense of a religious concept of the Christian faith, the natural doesn't line up with spiritual. So it's actually the spiritual is so much more difficult, but natural is fine. And that doesn't even make sense because the Bible doesn't even teach that way. We couldn't even have a parable if that was true. You understand what a parable is, right? You know, just in the... in. The Greek language, it's the picture of the natural example tied to a spiritual truth. And what Jesus would teach, he'd use parables. And he'd explain those parables to his disciples. Why? Because they needed to get it. And he'd use, you know, a farmer takes, you know, seed and plants it. And he talks about ground and stuff like that. Well, what was the purpose of that? Well, apparently it was for one of the most important truths that you could receive. Seed to the ground. And when you, when you ask people that have been in church the whole real meaning of that teaching, most of them don't even get it. And it's all about life. 100% about life. Oh, guess what? It's not about a one-dimensional life. It's about the fullness of life. Because y'all know there's some good ground you have. But you also know there's some hard asphalt ground in your life. Right? Are you guys agreeing with that? And then there's some areas where you got some weeds, correct? And then there's some areas that are awful rocky. 
You got some awful rocky places in your life, and so you look at your life and you go, I'm not saved. Oh my God, change me. No, you're just, this is life. This area you're doing good at, that's where you want to talk a whole lot about. You want to talk about, look at my harvest, look at my harvest. Yeah, but you're screaming at the person when you're driving in the parking lot. No, don't worry about that. That's some rocky area over there. But see, that, that reaction would be good. But you know what we do? I must not be saved. Oh, I'm so evil. I'm so rotten. And that's what people do. It, it, it's the dirty water with the baby in it. Let's throw it all out. And that's what we do in our, in our Christian life. And we can't be that way. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute. I thought this was about thinking like Jesus. Everything I'm talking about is thinking like Jesus. Being like Christ. Everything I've been talking about, it. it's your responsibility to know how to do it. That's, your, that's what, what lays upon your lap is, is how do I get to this place? So I need the information, correct? Well, that's what we did. First of all, we looked at, Jesus said this, I am. I am. He would say, I am. Now think about him making that statement. Why is he even saying that? And the way he's doing it is a statement of a confident profession of faith, a confession. He says, I am the bread of life. I am truth. He said this 18 times, I am. And then we look at this and we don't pay attention. But we're good at I ams. I am lazy. I am fat. I am stupid. I am. And we just fill in, the, fill in the blanks. I am, I am, I am. And in those I ams, we're making confessions of faith over our lives. And we're not saying it in a, in a laughable manner. We're making it a true confession of faith. I am such an idiot. Oh, gosh, I'm such an idiot. And by doing that, you're proclaiming that identity because it is I am. And if you don't change that I am, you stay you are. You're going to stay that way. Well, is it that simple to start ch changing, you know, the way I talk? It's 100% that way. 100%. Now, you might not believe it in the beginning. This is the difficulty of religious concept of faith. See, we, we like to take truths and then make fun of them because of people. You listen to a faith teaching. You can have a good faith teaching and then you can turn it into something that it isn't. So when you have a good faith teaching or even a, a, a person that's teaching faith can even use a bad example. And they can start talking about, well, the word of God says, say this mountain, be removed, cast in the sea, and not doubt in his heart. Whatever, whatever he prays and believes in his heart, it shall happen. And, and so you got that word. And then all of a sudden, a faith teacher comes in and says, yeah, when you believe God, you stand in faith. It will happen. It will happen. And so in that, there's talk about, usually it leans toward money. But anyway, the point is, there's a position of faith. And then on this part, the person gets it, and they start using it in a way that doesn't line up with the context or the rest of Scripture. And so there's this, if I say it enough, I'll have it. But see, the problem is this. 
Everything in the spiritual lines up with the natural. And if you're working a Taco Bell job and saying, I'm going to have a McLaren, I'm going to have a McLaren, you ain't getting a McLaren. In the natural, it ain't happening, right? Well, well, how come I'm saying it? That's the problem. We want to be in a position, and I, and I like to tell young people about these truths, single people too. You're unqualified in the area of receiving an answer. You've got to get in a position of qualification, everything in life. And when you're in a position of qualification, then, you, then answers can be revealed in a correct way, in a way that makes sense. And so what we, what we tend to do is we, we operate in the way where we're saying stuff. We don't feel it. We don't see it. Well, that's the area of faith. But because it isn't happening, it isn't taking place, or it's not lining up my feeling, then we quit. We stop. But how many here quit in first grade when they said one plus one equals two? Now, ultimately, you figured out those two dogs, one and one, equal two. But you didn't have the full concept of that math equation. It took a lot longer, didn't it? Oh, yes, it did. Because I guarantee you that first time you received one plus one equals two, you didn't go home to mom and say, I got, I got this down. Math, I own it. I am a goat when it comes to math. No. You received something and still had to be told it over and over, and they had to put it as a pizza, as a ball, as grass. You know, it just, it, it had to be different things. And all of a sudden, you're going, oh, this is smart. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting this. And then they add another one. Oh, my gosh. You don't just go, boom, easy. Throw some more numbers at me because one plus one equals two. It's all mine. Bring on bigger numbers because I'll get it. No, we didn't. When you started bringing more things, it was like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do this? This is very difficult. Am I telling the truth or not? All right. So in that, we look at that and we go, okay, there's a process of what? Maturity. I guarantee you take someone that doesn't know mathematics and they're older in age, they'll be quicker to receive it just because of, of life. Now, that would be difficult to find. I'd have to be a better analogy, but you know what I'm saying. The point is, is Jesus understood who he was. He proclaimed who he was. I am. I am. Where did he get that? Can anybody tell me? Because he just knew it? No. He got it from the word. The revelation of who he was. Jesus spent time in Scripture. Jesus studied the Word of God, studied it. And I know that just because of the Bible, what it shows us. At 12 years old, he would open up Scripture and teach at 12. I mean, that's pretty powerful, is it not? And so we look at this and we go, okay, so the place of I am's are so important, so vital. I have to learn to be able to change who I think I am to who I really am. I need to be able to change who I think I am to who I 
really am. I don't, I'm not real. I'm, uh, listen. I am really more than a conqueror. I really am. Now, if you look at the natural, you can see that statement could be a little off. And there's some areas it could be spot on. Are you guys seeing this now? Here we go again. We're going to the same place of life. Some areas I can be more than a conqueror. Other areas I suck. I'm terrible. I'm not good at it. But other areas, man, I'm solid. Solid. You put me on a baseball, football, basketball, I'll be solid. You put me on ice and say, hey, you want to try out hockey? My, my, I'd be like this. This is how I skate. And it hurts, and I'm terrible at it. Now, does that mean I will, for, I, I will forever not be able to ice skate? No. Yes. Why yes? Because I don't like it. But if I had to, I could learn. I could put in the work, but I'm not going to. I just want to ice skate, not pick up a hockey stick. The point is, is what's the difference? The difference is one area I learned, I walked out this journey, and I'm solid in it. This other area, it's a sport. I'm an athlete. It, it's a little more difficult. You see what I'm saying? But it doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just something I'm not going to go in that direction. And when you start doing that, you go, well, yeah, Pastor, that makes sense. Of course, everybody knows that. Exactly. It's a... What? It's a natural principle. Wherever you're at in the world, it's the same principle, correct? Spiritual truth. Spiritual truth. That means everything in your life, there's going to be areas where you're solid and areas where you're not solid. So what do we do? We learn to shore up strength in the weak areas without trying to define us in the weak. And Christians are good at this. We're good at looking in the bad, looking at your failures, and we define you by that. You could have been awesome in these other areas, but this one area you really sucked at. So we define you as loser. You're not a Christian. You shouldn't be in church. Because that's what people do. And it's wrong, but it's how it happens. It's just not right. We need to be able to look at each other correctly. And the correct way is to know that you're not perfect and you never can be and you never will be. There's no such thing as perfection unless it's tied to God. It's, it, there is no, it doesn't matter what you're using. You can, your iPhone right now, guarantee you, it ain't going to be the same one after another year. Something new, something different. What does that mean? It means one you have ain't perfect anymore. And if you don't have a 12, you don't even know what perfect is. Because I don't. <laughs> the thing is, is what happened? Well, this was looked at as, wow. But what is the, the first iPhone? Was it just iPhone? iPhone 1? What does anybody know? Let's just say it was iPhone 1. I don't even know. See, you don't even know, but I guarantee you most of you had it, or some of you had it. The thing is, is you take that first one, you take the one now, you'd look at that and go, this thing is, this is Jurassic Park. 
can't use this thing. It probably had a flip on it or something. But that's what you would do, correct? But I guarantee you the first time you saw that thing, perfection. We do it all the time. Perfection. I remember our first computer at church when we moved from two gig memory to four. I thought, I can own this world. Four gig memory. Now it only takes 30 minutes to get something. Before it was three hours. Because the thing was so slow. But it was a computer. A new computer. It was awesome. And when I was able to get the memory upgrade, it was, I was like, oh my gosh. And the computer was, I don't know, maybe it was like six feet by two feet wide. It was giant. But computers, you know, that's the way they worked. And now you look at them. They're, it's amazing what you can do now. But again, what happened? Continue to perfect. But there's no such thing as perfect. Unless, again, you're talking about God. You're talking about his word. You're talking about Jesus. That's perfection. So what do we, what do we have to look at? We have to look at truth. Look at truth. Even when you're good at something, you still can get better. That's the truth, right? That's the truth. So here we'll go to number two. And number two is we've got to know God's purpose for our lives. You have to know God's purpose for your life. This in no way is defined by what most of you are trying to think right now. Right now. Because I guarantee you, most believers, when you hear this, all of a sudden you're trying to figure out what are you going to do? In the sense of, what am I going to be? Am I going to be an evangelist, a missionary? Am I going to be a pastor? Am I going to be? And so we label it in this small little box of, what am I supposed to do? What is my ministry? And by the way, that's the smallest definition of purpose. And I know most people don't get that. And most ministers don't get that. Because most, they don't, most of them don't know what the word of God is, how the word of God even works. It's so intertwined to denominational beliefs, legalistic beliefs, rules. And so what we have to understand is, is when you start taking the truth and you look at what does it mean to have purpose, all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier and a lot more fulfilling because we look at point blank what Jesus says, okay? So we look at his, if you look at um, Luke, um, John 8, 14, he says this. I know where I came from and where I'm going. That's what Jesus said. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. So for him to say that is, is he's saying, listen, I, I, I got my purpose. I understand it. I, I get this. I know where I came from. And I know where I'm going. Now remember, purpose is to know the purpose uh, or, or know the reason why something is created. Know the reason why something is created. That's how you use purpose to the highest level. Anybody ever try to use, you know, a pair of vice grips as a hammer? No? Just me? Oh, all right. Some of you are going, what's a vice script? Anybody ever use pliers as a hammer? How about uh, 
a table knife as a screwdriver. I'd never done that, never. And because it was bent that way, it fell in the dishwasher wrong or something. So, but, but what are you doing? You're not using the right tool that was created for whatever it is you're doing. So what does that mean? It's not working too well, is it? And you usually end up getting hurt. <laughs> something ends up happening, and you should have got, I should have got the hammer. All right, I'm just talking about me. You guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You guys are so perfect. Now think about that. Purpose. So Jesus says, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. He settled this purpose thing early in life. In um, Luke 2.40, it says this, and the child, Jesus, grew. Everybody say grew. Okay? He grew. He grew. He, he grew, just like kids do, and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Verse 52, and Jesus grew. Everybody say grew. Okay, the Greek language is pretty simple on this. It means there's a, it's a process of growth. Continue to grow. And that's what we do. We get born on this earth, and we what? We grow. There's a process of growth. That's what he's saying here. And Jesus grew, continued to grow in wisdom and physically. He continued to grow in wisdom and physically and in favor with God and men. Favor with what? God and men. Now, this statement is after the next scripture that I'm going to talk about, and that is when Jesus was 12 years old. At 12 years old, his parents, by the law standards, had to go toward the temple. Jesus, at 12 years old, went into the temple and ultimately started opening up scripture and reading it. And everybody was just like, oh my gosh, this 12-year-old, they know this stuff. And so he's, he's reading and teaching at 12 years old. His parents are doing what parents do, and that is what? Being parents, busy. We've got to take care of this. So you, you go down and get some food over there, and we need some of this, and, and we're only going to be here for another, uh, another day or so. Let's do this. And, and where's Jesus at? Oh, he, they went over there. Okay, he's over there. All right, let's keep going. And they're all busy and busy, and everybody else is all busy. All the parents are busy, and all of a sudden it's time to go. And the assumption is, is of course Jesus is here. He's an awesome kid. We've never had a problem with him. He's never ran away. He's never been that kid that was a lot of trouble. So we, we're assuming. And so they, they take off and leave Jesus. You ever done that, parent? I know this is where parents like to raise their hand and go, yeah, we've done that. And I won't talk about my family at all. But the point is, is we've done stuff like that. And it doesn't feel good, does it? And so we see in the picture where, you know, Mary and Joseph are scrambling back. Oh, by the way, not after a couple hours, after, after a couple days. Like, oh, good parents, Mary and Joseph. But anyway, they end up going back and saying, Jesus, what the heck? What are you doing to us? Now, this is where this says, and Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? 
12 years old. Doesn't that sound like a 12-year-old? 12-year-old, junior higher. Don't they talk that way? I mean, it's like, you're like, oh, come on. You're 12, not 28. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you realize that I had to be? Everybody say had to be. I had to be about my father's business. At 12 years old, this guy, no. At 12 years old, he's going, I know what I'm called to be. I know what I'm called to do. You ever known someone like that? I have. I wasn't a Christian my whole life at all. Wasn't church. Wasn't a part of church. Wasn't a part of any religious stuff. Pastor Lyle, my wife, was. I know other people. I know Sasha's made this statement before. At a young age, they knew they were going to serve God. Is that weird? At a young age. How many of you, at a young age, you knew you were going to serve God? Is there anyone else? I mean, these two had this in their lives where they're like going, I just know I'm called. I'm going to serve God at a young age. Now, that's interesting. And that just shows me that there's sometimes when this can engage in someone's life where they, they just, they get it. They know it. And I believe this is what happens to Jesus. He knew it. He knew in himself that this was what he was called to be. It's pretty powerful. I know you want to take it into God land, but it's not God land. It's son of man land. This is Jesus growing up. The child, it didn't say God grew because God can't grow. It said the child grew. The child was growing. The child was maturing. The child was operating in greater and greater wisdom. The child, not God. I teach that actually in the school pretty soon, uh, Life of Christ. I go deep into all this stuff about the area of God Jesus and man Jesus. And to show you the difference between the two and understanding of it. Because Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. The only thing is he was operating completely as man on earth. But also there's scriptures in there that are lined up differently in the, in the Bible in how you read it for context purposes. Because you can see Christ Jesus, you can see Jesus Christ. Well, why would they, what is it, just, you know, I feel like putting Christ first. I put Jesus so many times, I'm going to flip it this time. No, it's context, context. And so when you start looking at Scripture and finding out, wait a minute, there's a purpose of why it's written that way. And I teach it at my school, and no, I'm not going to go into it right now. It's called a hypostatic union, by the way. But anyway, let's move right along. So in, in par as parents, what do we do? We prepare our children. We prepare them in the best we can to be able to get hold of purpose, to get a hold of this understanding. I mean, parents, you know this ain't something you can call out right off the bat. But my, Pastor Lau right now was in, in worship. We were looking at her son, Daniel, playing up here. And she said, would you ever in your mind ever think that you'd, he'd be up there doing that? And I went, no, not until after a couple years of him in piano lessons. And the only reason after a couple years is because his first class, the lady that was doing the teaching instruction, she goes, this kid is gifted beyond anybody I've ever seen. And he was what, five, five years old. 
That's what she said. All I heard was ding, 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 ding. But the point is, is that's what she was, she was made, in her view of seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids, she said, this kid is, I didn't see that. But after a couple years, it became, started becoming noticeable that he's gifted in that area, very gifted. And as he grew and mature, that gifting became more seeable to where not only we recognized it as not saying we're God, but saying like Jesus, he, he grew in favor with God and man. He grew in favor with parents and people started seeing it and recognizing it. But see, I didn't at the beginning. It was a journey. You see that? So there are times when we don't see what really is within people, even our own kids. I, I don't know if you understand that, but it, it needs to be recognized the importance of not prejudging people or just automatically assuming this way they're going to be. Because there's great things in every one of you that, I mean, some of you have, have bottled that thing down and squished it away for so long that you forgot how awesome it was to be that person. And that's what the world does. It robs, steals, kills. But there's greatness in you. There are great things in each and every one of you. I know the past is ugly and it can really rob you of your future. And you look at so many things, so many negatives you've done. I'm talking to you out there in live stream as well. So many things that you can never see yourself other than all the negative in your life. You've, you're defining yourself in your past. That is a biblical no-no. As a matter of fact, that's sin. Because God commands you not to do that. The Word of God commands you not to be that person. And so your responsibility is what? Obey His Word. Let that stuff go. Let it go because it is. Listen, you define who you are right now. Now, I know the world doesn't work that way. The world don't work that way. We don't work that way. But I'm telling you right now, God does. And this is the reality of, of truth. It starts right now because you can't do anything there and you can't do anything in the future. Right now. So you redefine yourself. You, you change right now. You can say, I want to. I want to do this. I want to pray and, and talk all you want. But you want change right now. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard, but it took you a long time to become who you are right now. It's just understand that, and let's work toward that great you, amen? The great you. Is that okay if I just call you that you, there's some greatness in you? I believe that. I know that to be a fact. I know that. I just said, let's celebrate 20 years with her. There's no way in the world in the beginning this picture would be there like it is now. No way. She's a, she's a pastor here. She's leading our, our young adults by God's call, not mine, by God. First ever in ministry where God told me, let her run it and stay out of the way. Never has God told me that. Usually I got to have my hands in there. I got I to gotta hold the hand and walk someone through, whatever ministry it is. But God specifically told me, stay out of the way. 
And then he told me to tell other people, stay out of the way. Because I know how people want. We all want to start putting our two cents in. But God, seen what was in here, he knew what was there, and he said, I want that to do the fruit. I want that to produce. And it's worked. And not because of me. All because of him. Now, she would make statements as it is because of you. Well, it's because of the information that she has from her pastor, her spiritual papa. But the point is, is it's still her putting it to use. And, and it's a good thing. And, and I realize, you know what, there are times when you just, you just don't know, but you can't define the future. It, that's, God knows the future. Our part is the life of faith. We don't know tomorrow, but we can do today. Amen? You guys got that? All right. So Jesus understood who he was, who he was supposed to be. John 10 says, says my purpose in life is this. I've come to give life and life more abundantly. That's my purpose. I've come to give life and that life more abundant than normal life. That's his purpose. Jesus came for that. Now, how are you living life? Now, if you're thinking, well, just like everybody else, well, see, you're messing up because the purpose of Jesus. Now, think about it, who he is. His purpose was to do what? So that he could have life and life more abundantly? That's not what it says. To give that the purpose of Jesus is to give me something. Well, now it's my responsibility to receive that something. And to do what? Live life more in abundance. Live the life he has and in abundance. What does that happen overnight? Happen with one understanding? One area of good? No. It's a process. But I still focus. Abundant life. Abundant life. How do you define that? Well, you better start because you want abundant life in your parenting. You want abundant life in your marriage. You want abundant life in relationships. You want abundant life in your jobs. You want abundant life in out. You want abundant life operating in you. Why? Because it's the purpose of Jesus. And he said, I give. And I'm going to be faithful to receive it. So I'm not expecting normal life. Well, how's your marriage? Normal. How's your parenting? Normal. How's your work? Normal. We, we, we might not be saying normal, but that's how we think. We become statistics. Normal. And Jesus said what? No, I come to give you life and more abundant life. So right now I need you to start looking at your lives, no matter what you, where you're at, and start saying, we need abundant life in this. We need abundant life in this. We need abundant life in this. Amen? You guys get this? Are you understanding this? Okay. All right. John 12, 27, Jesus says, My heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. This is, he, he, he's talking about going to the cross. He says, I, I'm, I'm dealing with issues right now. I got, my heart is, is feeling the pressure. And what do I say? Do I say, I don't want to do this, then this is what he's dealing with. Uh, save me, let's just change this. And he goes, no. It was for this very reason, purpose. It was for this very reason I came to this time. 
It was for this very reason. Now follow me. For this very reason, I came to this time. What time? For this very reason, to go to the cross. That's the reason why I'm sent. Wait, I thought you send life and light. Exactly. The purpose he came was to give life and life more abundantly. You can't get it until he goes to the cross. That cross legally gives us the ability to go back to the state of Adam's position. Life and life more abundantly. He says, I've come to give them this awesome life, but now i got to go to the cross, which is in connection to my purpose. And by the way, in, in, in the book of Acts, it says, and Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. How is he going to do that? Cross. So going to the cross literally operates in what he said. I come to destroy the work. How do you destroy the works? By giving back to the place of where Adam, first Adam, started. That's how it happens. So the last Adam, Jesus, fulfilled what the first Adam should have. And that is, I only hear and do what my father says. I'm going to obey my father's word. I'm going to be obedient to his word. Not Adam going, yes, wife, whatever you want, wife. I'll take a bite. Give me a bite. Mm, yummy, yummy, wife. And Jesus said, I ain't getting married. No, <laughs> that's not why he's married. Jesus had a purpose. And his purpose was to make sure that we could get married correctly. Amen? Not, not the Adam and Eve way. Though it starts out that way, right? That's right. Okay. So he said, no, I came for this purpose. John, 1 John 3, it says this. I love this one. This freaks people out. Actually, this is one, this is one of the scriptures where I wouldn't read early on in my Christian walk. I wouldn't read 1 John because it really freaked me out. Because you start reading that and you're going, geez, I'm not even saved. And so pretty soon I learned some scriptures you just don't want to read. Just read the ones that make me feel good. Because this one really scared me. And everybody I'd ask, go, what does this mean? And they'd all try to act like they knew, but then no one knew. And so we'd like going, well, you know, we'd start making up our own belief systems, our own opinions. Even pastors I heard teach this didn't even know how to teach it correctly. But this is going to be taught correctly, and a lot of you already know this stuff, but 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? How many have sinned this week? You little devils, you. Well, according to Scripture, you're of the devil. Okay, what are we going to do with that? That's the first and foremost statement. You read that and it says, he who sins is of the devil. There's no, listen, you can't do anything other than what it says and now define. And so what do we do? We start defining. So we don't, we don't want to put ourselves in the devil's family right away. So we say, wait a minute, it says sins. So that must mean there's a mount of sins. So we start saying, well, if you do it a lot, and we, this, this is how religion works. So it starts going through the process of good and bad sins. Because it's so easy to point a bad one. Easy, easy. And usually the one pointing the bad one is doing the good one a million times. So say the bad one, killing, bad one, 
alcoholic, bad one. Pornography, bad one, bad one. Adultery, bad one. And then all week long, he's gossiping and speaking evil. But those are good sins. Those are, we can get, those are okay. Those are, and by the way, those are the ones God says he hates. The other ones he didn't say he hate other than murder. Uh, not killing, by the way, murder. It's a Hebrew word, murder, not killing. There's a difference between the two. But see, that's what religion doesn't grasp. It starts working on assumptions. But the Greek word, it's not even plural. It's singular. And so it says, he who sinned. And now all of a sudden, you have to define what exactly is he saying? He who sinned is of the devil. Well, then, wait a minute. In the Greek language, he now adds the word, he who, in the action of does, he who does sin, not sins, and not the Greek word, he who commits sins. It's the word poieo, which is singular in the position of, from the inside, working out. So it's he who sin in the picture of the nature. He who has the nature of sin is of the devil. Now, I never knew that for years. I even went to Bible college and didn't even know that. So how do you deal with that? It's very difficult. You can't. Because we're all going to screw up, right? We're all going to sin. So we go here and we go, well, I'm of the devil. I got to get saved again. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about nature. So it says, he who has sin nature is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works, sin nature, of the devil. How do you do? Listen. Oh, my gosh. This is really elementary if you're taught correctly. How to destroy the devil's works. What was his works? He caused the nature to start by deceiving Eve. And Adam took in the sin nature. Where God said, if you eat of this fruit, in dying you shall die. Two words, death. It, it translates, surely die, it's not surely die. It's dying you shall die. So what he's saying is, once you take this, you're going to have spiritual death, which would equate to physical death. You can't die if you don't spiritually. If it's spiritually alive, you're not going to be able to die. I mean, that's, it's, that's Jesus. He didn't die spiritually because he never sinned. Well, wait a minute. Didn't he die on the cross? Yeah, after he took our sins upon him. Once those sins came upon him, then he could physically die. But he couldn't die. What he went through? Think about it. Any human being would have already died before he got to the cross. Any of them. But with Jesus, he couldn't die. Not until the, the sins of us came upon him. The curse came. Then he died. Now think about that. So what did Jesus come to destroy? Cussing? Alcohol? Well, come on. What did he come to? He came to destroy sins? Are you kidding me? No, he came to destroy a evil nature. And the only way you can do that in the legal process is he 
had no sin. And he took our sins and paid the price for those sins. But because he knew no sin, rose again. That is the firstborn, which scripture says, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And that's what Jesus did. And now we do what we receive by faith, Jesus, and then we become born again spiritually. So now what? I have a new nature, new creation, new nature. And in that new nature, yeah, I can sin, but my nature isn't sinning because it's a new nature. Well, what if you make it an old nature? I can't because it's tied to Jesus. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So Christian, yeah, you out there sinning. Even the ones that are so holy right now going, I don't sin. You already sinned by lying right now. It's so simple to, to tag everybody in here. Because some, some people really think they're morally awesome. And all I have to do is define what Scripture says about sin. And it's pretty simple. If you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. So if the speed limit is 40, you were going 41 on the way here, but you're so morally good, you already sinned already. You didn't obey the law of the land. And I can ask some of our police in here, can you get a ticket for going 41 in a 40? And they'll say, yes. By law, yes. Now we know that to be true. you got to be at least going 20 over the speed limit. Just kidding, just kidding. That's my fantasy life. All right, but the point is, is this. What am I saying? I'm saying you, you, you walk past a piece of paper on the ground. You know the right thing to do to pick it up, but you come in the church, and that's nasty, COVID, you know? <laughs> so you don't touch it. But you knew the right thing to do would be to pick that thing up and throw it away, but you didn't do it. That's sin. See, when we want to get down to what the reality and definition of sin is, y'all are sinners. Y'all going to hell. I mean, that's it. I'm the only one not. No, I'm just kidding. Do you see what I'm saying, though? Doesn't it make it, all of a sudden you're going, yeah, that's true. This is really real. This is real. Exactly. So we're all doing it, but it's not our nature. So what does that mean? It means I don't have to do it. I can make a different choice. I couldn't do that with the old nature. I had to sin. There's nothing I can do about it. It's my nature to sin. But now I'm born again. Well, then if we're born again and we have new nature, why are we doing it? Because your soul, which is how you react on this natural earth, has been trained. And Romans 12, 2, which we taught last week, is renew the mind. You change old to new. And by getting new information, you have a new action. Know who you are. Know your purpose. Purpose is very simple. We are to be salt and light. Our purpose is perfect. We are to be like Christ. Very simple. We are to be like Jesus. Very simple. The Bible says in Ephesians and Corinthians that we are to mature and grow in Christ. That is our purpose, mature and grow in Christ. So when it comes down to it, you have being salt and light, which is an influence, and enlightenment, growing, and growing up, maturing, is understanding purpose. Not, I'm going to be evangelist. That's not the definition. The purpose is what Scripture says. We have been all given the reconciliation of 
the ministry of reconciliation. And even the word ministry is wrongly defined in denominational belief systems. Because the word ministry is not this word that's so awesome and, and spiritually powerful. The word ministry, we get our word deacon from. And in the word deacon, diaconus means a servant, an attendant, a waiter on tables. So all of a sudden, that ministry position isn't what you thought it was, how you felt it was. It's actually being what Jesus said. You want to be the greatest? Be the greatest servant. And when you start realizing this life's about serving, ministering, helping one another, loving one another, building one another, encouraging one another, doing what we can to be that, that mouthpiece of hope. Because when he's talking about reconciliation, the word reconciliation is literally tied to our position. We don't deserve any of this, but he made it so. And we're reconciled to what? Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. We don't get what we deserve. Mercy Grace is he gives us what we don't deserve. Is that crazy? Mercy is God's going, well, yeah, you, you deserve this, but you're not getting it. You deserve a spanky, but you're not getting it. And then he says, grace is this. Well, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Is that awesome? That's the God we're to re reconcile to. Amen? That's our ministry. You want to find out what your purpose is? Do that. Show people the truth of the love of God. Tell them, talk story about the great love in which he loved them. Christ died for them. That's when you're walking ministry and that's when you're walking purpose. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the truth of the word of God. And we're so grateful of that word. We want to grow. We want to learn more about you. It's just, it's life. It's abundant life. And I thank you as the word has gone forth, it's gone forth into hearers' ears. And the hearers' ears receive it and allow that seed to grow and mature where there'll be abundant harvest of the truth that has been sown in their hearts. That's my expectation. Father, I thank you for us and our opportunity to gather together to receive instruction of your word. And I thank you for those that are hearing it right now that are realizing, wait a minute, this is far different than the religion that I've been taught or far different than the Christian understanding I have. But what I want is I want this freedom that he's talking about. I want these truths that he's been laying out before me. I want to know Jesus correctly. You can by saying this with me. You confess this. You speak these words out of your heart. And the Bible says that eternal life is going to enter into your life. You will become born again. And all you have to do is call in the name of Jesus. So we can do that in here and we can do it out there. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I call on your name. I'm calling your name, Jesus. And I'm asking you to save me. Jesus, save me. Thank you for hearing my words and answering my call. Because of that, I know, I believe that I am with you now. I'm a part of you now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.
Father, I thank you right now for every person that prayed that prayer for the first time, every person that called out the name of the Lord for the first time, and I thank you that their lives will never be the same ever again. And if you prayed that prayer the first time out there and in live stream, just go ahead and click that button. If you prayed that prayer in here, you lift your hands. I have something for you that will help you in this new life, something that I wrote for you that will help you if you prayed the prayer for the very first time. Other than that, I'm grateful for every one of you, and I'm so glad you came this morning. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bless you in Jesus' name. See ya. Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.